This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Our bodies are really designed and operate very well under short-term stress. But when stress goes on for a long time, we have elevations in a hormone called cortisol in our body. But when it's elevated for too long, it can absolutely impact our mood. It can impact our sleep. It can change our eating habits. And it's absolutely been linked to anxiety and depression as well. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to pay for our holiday excess sins. We'll discuss the ins and outs of marriage contracts. We'll find out how to keep your mood up during trying times. And lastly, we'll explore the latest nutrition trends. But first, a little bit of business. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Gordon, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you, Jamie, and thanks for having me back again. So I think the question at the top of everybody's mind is, were you on the naughty list or the nice list last year? Well, you know, we all try to be on the nice list, but you know, it's Christmas, there's lots of food, lots of drinks, all of that floating around. And what I was going to say this year, it's even worse because have you ever tried to eat a whole turkey for two people? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I have been eating turkey for days now. Okay? Yeah. yeah, I've got an excellent turkey chili recipe if you'd like. If you're sick of just having it warmed up in the microwave, I'll shoot you over my recipe because it's, it's delicious. But I hear you. Every year for me, this is like the red zone because there's increased drinking. There's more time sitting around the table. There's more excuses not to get out and exercise. It is absolutely a time of excess and I'm going to come clean. It was, it was, you know, my kids were in from school. It was a messy holiday for me. I think this year was exceptionally worse because normally you have a whole bunch of guests who will help you finish your food, help you finish your wine, yeah. etc. This yeah. year, because of the COVID, yeah. we didn't have any of that. So as a result, when you open a bottle of wine, guess who has to finish it? Yeah. Right? You're looking at all those wines you want to try? Same thing. So same thing went with the food. Right. And unfortunately, we don't want to throw things out. So we try to eat all of it. And that usually compounds the overeating and the overdrinking. Well, you know, and then, then there's people who eat for comfort. You know, I'm an emotional eater. And if you're feeling blue, 
you might want to eat a little bit more. Also, I think as cannabis becomes more normalized for people, you know, instead of drinking around the table, they could be partying around the table. And we all know about the munchies. That's a real thing, too. So it's all sort of conspiring against us. And I think the net result is January is a time when people sort of like, you know, the calendar switches over and then everybody feels compelled to try and undo what the naughtiness that occurred in late December. That is true. And therein lies Rob because everybody wants to do it overnight. They want to, yeah. they took all of December to put on all that extra weight, the 10 pounds, and then they expect it to be gone in two days. It does not work that way, unfortunately. And I think you're right, but I think it's, you know, COVID has made things worse. You know, people used to talk about the freshman 15, right? You go away to school, you'd put on 15 pounds. I think there's such a thing as the COVID 15 as well. Oh, definitely. And now, obviously, that the vaccines are rolling out, I think people are sort of saying, oh, I'm going to be out in public again. I'm going to see people. I've got to change the way I look. I've got to drop a few pounds. I've got to exercise. I'm going to cleanse. I'm going to do all those things. So we're going to talk about the approach to take with all these resolutions, right? Definitely. My take-home message with all of these things has always been slow and steady. Yeah. Make it into a routine, right? You know that. Being of course I do. Being a guru at exercise, etc., you know you've got to do it on a daily basis. As long as you make it part of your routine, it becomes something you do all the time. Right? Yeah, it has to be lifestyle, and you can't be completely goal-oriented, right? Because number one, if you're going to do that, you have to set realistic goals, right? Like, it probably didn't take you a week to put on the 15 or 20 or whatever it is you're looking at taking off or, you know, the, the six months or the year of sitting on your duff and not exercising. You know, I, I think people recognize they didn't put the weight on immediately. They, you know, they didn't slip into their sedentary lifestyle all of a sudden. So they've got to appreciate that if they're going to be goal-oriented, the goals need to be sort of realistic and timely. But more importantly, it's got to be manageable, right? Like, like whatever it is you're going to do, whatever lifestyle changes you're going to do, it's not a sprint. You know, yeah, you could drop a few pounds really quickly, and that's great. But if you're intent on keeping it off and being healthy, you really have to pick things and methods uh, that are achievable over the long run. And by long run, I mean for the rest of your life. Yes. And, you know, when people go into this diet, yo-yo dieting, they yeah. run into a problem because some people, they just want to diet and do nothing else right. and expect the weight to drop off. And sometimes they're very successful at it. But the problem with it, as soon as they stop dieting, the weight comes back on. Yeah. If they add, one of the things is that to lose weight, you've got to re- restrict calories coming in. Yep. That's one. Another big helper is to boost your metabolism, Yep. right? And the only safe way that I know to boost metabolism is exercise. Yes. Because what people don't realize is if you exercise, right, your resting metabolism goes up. If your resting metabolism goes up, even when you're sitting there vegging, watching TV, you're burning more calories. Yep. And one of the other things that people should be doing is weight training exercises to put on muscle mass because... Muscle burns fat. And if you're just, even when you're sitting down, vegging, watching TV, if you have more muscle mass, you will be burning more fat. And that helps bring the weight down. So it's all, it's a combination approach that, that I think that people should be looking at. Right. And I would say one last thing. I don't believe in excuses, but I also don't believe in punishing yourself. So whatever it is you did over the holidays, fine, you did it. Move forward. 
don't punish yourself in the form of diets that are too restrictive or exercise regimens that aren't maintainable because you'll end up hurting yourself. For sure. And I say start slow because I know that people who have never run in their life and then decide one morning, I am going to run. So next thing you know, they run run 100 yards, right? And they're gasping for air and they say, oh, I can't keep this up. Don't do that. Start off by taking a nice leisurely walk. Walk for about a week, then quicken the pace a bit for another week. Right, and pretty soon before you can think about it, you're running. Right? Exactly. But it's a gradual buildup, and people just want to go start running. They say, "Oh, I'm going to start running." Yep. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. So let's take your approach of graduality and maintainability, and let's talk about something that people think is a one-off, which is this is right in your real house, by the way, and that is cleanses. Because I know you, you know, I know how you advocate. So, so what are your thoughts on those cleanses that people are going to be doing this month? Well, again. For cleanses, you didn't get all that toxins in overnight. You're not going to take it out overnight. You know, it has to be a slow, steady approach. I say for cleanses, and I've always said this, there. I know there are people out there, if they're not sitting on the porcelain throne or praying to the porcelain gods, they don't think they've been doing a cleanse, right? The idea with the cleanses is you have to keep your innards clean, so it's like sweeping your house. You're never going to get all the dirt out, but if you sweep your house today, you sweep your house tomorrow, you sweep your house the next day, You'll catch up with the dirt, and eventually you will get something that's a lot cleaner than where you started off with. It's the same idea with cleanses, right? You do it on a regular, ongoing basis. Not something that makes you sick, right? Something that's gentle on you, so then at the end of the day, if you do it long enough, you'll get ahead of it, right? So it has to be more of a lifestyle thing, right? So, I mean, usually I talk about different herbs that help clean you out, mm-hmm. all right? But there's also the exercise component where, you know, every time you sweat, it's a way of getting rid of toxins, right? So this mm-hmm. is why some of my Eastern European colleagues, you know, and I talk about the Russians, etc., the Swedes, they love a good sauna, right? You go to the sauna, you know, you sweat it out, and it's a good way of getting rid of toxins. But again, you're not going to get rid of all. You're not going to be as pristine as the day you were born, right? Because as we go out into the general population, you take a breath, you know, all that stuff spewing out to the back of a car gets into you, you know, all the excesses that you, you know, think that are your medication, all that sort of stuff gets into you, right? Mm-hmm. So it, you need to just keep ahead of things. Okay, when you, when you say, you know, the cleanse should be more regular, as opposed to just doing like an immediate quick cleanse, like what are you advocating for? How often should we be doing them and, and what should we be looking at? For most people, if you, you know, if you're healthy, et cetera, you know, you, you do something once every three months, every six months, it's fine enough. If you're uh, one of those people that likes to imbibe a little bit more, you might have to do it a little bit more frequently, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you work in a toxic environment, you might have to do it a little bit more frequently. But the whole idea here is not a one-time, once-a-year thing. You know, you, you on an ongoing basis, you can do it. And what are reasonable expectations for the results? Like, are you going to, like, after you do these cleansing, are, are you Superman, or what's the difference? Well, one of the things is that you find that you feel healthier, you have more energy in you, right? But I, again, it's not going to happen after your first cleanse, right? Mm-hmm. It takes a while, because one of the things, too, is because you're doing a cleanse, you're also trying to eat healthier. Right. Right? So all those things compound to make you feel better. One of the things that, that people don't think about when you're doing a cleanse is to make sure you load up with your antioxidants, right? And mm-hmm. the reason for that is because the cleansing process, 
uses the metabolism of the body to break down certain toxins into a form which can be then expelled either through the sweat or expelled through the urine or expired air or through the um, feces, right? Mm -hmm. But that process of breaking it down generates a lot of free radicals. And free radicals, as you know, can potentially damage tissue, etc. And this is why you need to take a lot more antioxidants to protect your tissues, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that is without consequences, as I said, but if you take antioxidants, and now antioxidants could be as simple as going to your health food store and buying a good mix of antioxidants in a pill, or make sure you eat a lot more green vegetables, make sure you, you take a lot more fresh fruits, right, mm-hmm. and, and so on, right? So there are lots of different ways of getting more antioxidants into your system. These cleanses are focusing on our gastric system and our liver. Are there specialized cleanses for our other organs? Like, should we be focusing on the kidneys? We tend not to look into any of those ones. But as I said, when we do cleanses, we should try to get all of the organs of elimination in play to maximize the cleanse effect. So that's why I usually say take something that will help the liver to function better, so it basically helps clean up a lot of the things, like in the blood and so on, because the liver is the major organ that breaks down toxins for elimination, right? But we shouldn't forget that the kidney also does that, and the lung also does that. When I say lung, people just look at me and and think, well, I'm going cuckoo. But then I, I tell people, you know, when you do a breathalyzer test, it's because the alcohol is coming out through the expired air. Right? It's a way of eliminating some of these things. So definitely the lungs do do that. Right? And there are certain toxins that are broken down by the lung tissue. Right? Mm-hmm. And the biggest one is also the way of getting things out is really is through the skin also. This is why exercise does several things. When you exercise, you sweat. When you sweat, a lot of toxins are eliminated in the sweat. Right? But in, in addition to that, the process of exercise also helps with elimination of toxins, generating natural opiates, which will put you in a better frame of mind, better mood, etc. Right. So what I'm trying to advocate is a combination approach as opposed to a buy something off the shelf and just use that. Okay. Buy something off the shelf is just an aid into everything else. Okay. You've touched upon exercise, so let's just talk about that very briefly. We have a few minutes left, and that is what sort of supplements, if people are taking up exercise, they're putting more stress on their joints, they may have some aches and pains. Maybe you can just give some ideas to people if they are suffering from pain, joint pain, or need extra protein. What would you recommend? Well, there's a whole bunch of different things that people can use, right? I mean, I like a combination-type product because it tries to hit as many different points as possible, mm-hmm. right? For people who are older, they can always use some more glucosamine and chondroitin, but they should also remember they need some more um, anti-inflammatories for their joint. For people who are younger, let's say you're 30, nothing hurts. I mean, if it hurts, it gets better in two days, right? right. When you're getting older, you need some more help. So, so for the older people, this is one of the things that you should look at is the anti-inflammatory herbs. Some of them are cumin is an example. That's a classic one that everybody uses. But there's a whole slew of different um, herbs that people can use, right? There's also some other herbs that people use to give you extra energy, right, to help mm-hmm. you through the process, right? That in itself is another topic that we could spend a good half an hour to an hour just talking about. Well, why don't we save that for next month, yeah? We could do that. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me on again, Jimmy. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss marriage contracts on The Tonic. 
Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Fine and Associates are family lawyers who dedicate themselves to dealing with separation and divorce matters every day. They specialize in custody, access, child and spousal support, and division of family property. It's their mission to resolve all issues amicably. But, if necessary, they're prepared to go to court and fight strongly on your behalf. Fine and Associates family lawyers are committed to achieving the results that you deserve to help you move forward with your life. If you're going through a separation or divorce, call 416-650-1300 to speak to Lauren Fine for a free initial phone consultation. For more information, visit torontodivorcelaw.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Sapina Hakani, is an associate lawyer with Fine & Associates in Toronto. She was called to the Ontario Bar in 2014 and has been working exclusively in family law since that time. She has experience in all aspects of family law, including divorce, custody, access, child and spousal support, property divisions, separation agreements, marriage contracts, and cohabitation agreements. Sabina's practice involves both litigation and alternative means of dispute resolution. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. We've been talking about marriage and divorce law bit with some of the partners and associates in your firm. Today, we're going to focus on marriage contracts or prenups, as they're sometimes called. For those who don't know, what is a marriage contract? So a marriage contract is essentially just a written agreement, and it's made between either married spouses or people that are intending to marry. And it deals with issues such as the division of property, spousal support, in the event that the parties get you know, separated and eventually divorced. And they're terribly romantic. It's, 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 I know. <laughs> it's really easy to plan the demise of your marriage when you are just about to get married. Yeah, it's not sexy at all, but it's, it's unfortunately the reality of it, of the, of the situation. Um, I was just going to say that uh, the Family Law Act, for example, just governs how the accumulation of wealth is to be divided upon separation. But a marriage contract can actually include almost like custom-made terms that depart from the Family Law Act. So it's almost like you're making this private custom-made agreement. But there are some areas that you're not allowed to contract for, right? Correct, yes. And those are situations, terms that involve custody and access and possession of the matrimonial home. So with custody and access, this simply means that the spouses, you can't predetermine in a marriage contract issues such as which parent will get custody, the children's living arrangements, um, or even like the parenting schedule upon separation. Any term in a marriage contract that relates to the children, it has to be limited to things like how the children are going to be raised. So, for example, religion and education. But you can't include terms that would stipulate which parent will make decisions about raising them. And I guess the rationale behind that is it's pretty impossible to predetermine what is in the best interest of the children when it comes to custody and access for children who may not even exist 
at that point in time. Right. And, and obviously circumstances change, right? Somebody who may not have been or considered themselves to be an ideal parent entering into a marriage may develop into a different sort of person 10, 20 years down the line who could be totally capable of taking care of children on their own. Exactly. And vice versa. I mean, you, you may be a great parent in the beginning, but because of circumstances beyond your control, it may not be in the best interest of the children at that time. So things change very quickly. So that's one of the reasons that they don't permit that to be included into a marriage contract. So while it's a good idea to have a marriage contract because it helps sort of define people's intentions heading into the marriage, courts will sometimes sort of look beyond it or perhaps if they're unhappy with the circumstances of the marriage contract, sort of negate those terms. In, in what circumstances will a court, quote unquote, mess with a marriage contract? So with marriage contracts, if they're drafted and executed properly, they're just as binding as any other agreement. But that being said, there are some circumstances under which a court may use their discretion to set aside either the entire contract or even just specific terms of the contract. One of the main bases to do that is the lack of financial disclosure. So full and frank financial disclosure about each party's financial circumstances at the time that the contract is entered into is extremely crucial and necessary just to make sure that both parties fully understand what the financial consequences are that they're of the contract that they're entering into. And my limited experience tells me also if somebody didn't have access to legal advice upon entering into the contract, that might be a reason why they would set it aside. Yes. Yeah, so there is no actual legal requirement that the parties have to obtain independent legal advice prior to signing the agreement, but it's very, very highly recommended. The fact that somebody has received independent legal advice is one of the key elements that reinforces the strength of the agreement. And I always encourage my clients to obtain ILA on any domestic contract that they enter into in order to avoid problems down the road, because you don't want one party claiming, well, I didn't really understand what I was signing, or had I known X, Y, and Z, I never would have signed this. So you want to mitigate these issues as much as possible by, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's from the very beginning. Okay. Now, if you didn't have a lawyer, could a couple draft their own agreement? And, and, and that's part one of my question. Part two is, is, if so, is that a good idea? So technically, as long as all of the requirements necessary to have a proper agreement have been followed, you can technically do that, but I would definitely not recommend it. As I mentioned earlier, there are certain circumstances under which a court can set aside a marriage contract. And if you're going to go to the length to have one signed, you might as well make sure that it's done correctly and that it will be binding and enforceable. So our philosophy always is investing in quality legal advice will be beneficial for you down the line and it'll give you more peace of mind as well. Right. Because at the end of the day, if you didn't know what you were doing or if you didn't have that expertise, you you may be subverting your own wishes by drafting a document that isn't quite up to legal snuff, right? So maybe everybody's on side with what you're trying to do, but if you don't do it correctly, a court could turn around and set it aside, even though that wasn't everybody's intention at the time. Exactly. And you don't want to do that. If you're going to go to all of this effort, you might as well have it done correctly. Okay. So it's it's pretty clear that a marriage contract makes sense if there are significant assets coming into the marriage. But does it make sense if, if people maybe aren't loaded, for example? Marriage contracts have always been, I know in the movies and in media, they're always seen as, you know, for the rich and for the famous. But nowadays, even the average Canadian couple is entering into a marriage contract. In my opinion, it honestly never hurts for a couple, even if you don't have a great deal in terms of assets at the time of your marriage, you should sit down and kind of think about your future possibilities and do some almost like financial projections. Where will you be in your career in the next 10 years? If you guys have kids, whose career is going to be interrupted in order to care for the children? 
And if so, how will that person be protected in the event of a divorce? So the thing to remember, I think, is that whether you have property or not, the institution of marriage creates rights and obligations that will last a lifetime of your marriage. So it never hurts to really think about the advantages and disadvantages of having these agreements. And I guess this sort of harkens back as to why you would want a lawyer's help in drafting the contract, because a lot of people think of contracts as sort of being static, right? Like, you know, this right. is this this is the state of affairs now, so this is what we're going to think about now. But you actually need somebody with some experience to sort of say, hey, okay, maybe you're getting married in your 20s or 30s, but, you know, your life is going to look substantially different in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. So we better have a contract that sort of has the ability to grow with the marriage, right? Like takes into account the changes that may occur over the course of decades. Exactly. And we do our best to craft agreements that will stand the test of time. One of the ways that actually we didn't really get to, but one of the ways that you, another way you can set aside an agreement is if one of the terms, and this usually relates to support waivers, if it turns out to be that the term is unconscionable, meaning that it's very extremely unfair. And that typically happens in long-term marriages. So if you've been married for 20 plus years, you signed a marriage contract, in the marriage contract that you waived spousal support, but your financial circumstances for both parties have changed vastly throughout that period of time, that in itself, that specific term can be set aside based on the theory of unconscionability. So I I think everybody, you know, in their mind, when they think about a marriage contract, they think about a contract that exists heading into the marriage. But can you have a marriage contract after you said I do? Yes, you can. So marriage contract really just governs what would happen in the event of a separation. So whether you do that before, whether you do that during your marriage, it's still considered a marriage contract. But in my experience, there's there's less, I guess, incentive for a party to agree to a marriage contract after you've been married. Right. Yeah, because the deed is done. What about changing marriage contracts? So you enter into one, let's say, perhaps, and then maybe five, ten years later, circumstances are so drastically different. Can the parties come together and amend it? Yes, you can have an amending agreement. You can either amend the entire agreement or you can just amend specific terms of it, but have the remainder of the initial agreement still valid. Okay, so what advice would you have for anybody who's engaged or thinking about entering into a marriage contract? Firstly, I would advise to start discussions with your partner about wanting to enter into a marriage contract early on. Um, And don't leave these discussions for the 11th hour right before your wedding. Presenting a marriage contract to your future spouse too soon before your wedding can actually lead to a potential claim of duress. Because if you, let's say, a few days before your wedding date, you present your potential or your future spouse with an agreement, that spouse feels the pressure to have to sign this agreement or the marriage is not going to go forward that can actually be a basis for a claim of duress. So you do want to start these discussions and the drafting of the agreement well in advance of the wedding to give yourself that time for negotiation and to avoid the future or potential for a a claim of duress. Okay, and is, is there anything else you would recommend? On a more emotional level, I would also try to present the idea in a bit of a sensitive manner because you don't want your partner to feel that you're doing this because you don't trust them or you don't have faith in the relationship. You want to try to present it in a way that shows that it's this is mutually beneficial for the both of you and it's for the protection of both of you, not just a one-sided 
agreement. Okay, so I'm sure you see it. There's one party who wants it and one party who's reluctant. How do you see that being broached successfully? And the way that we try to do it is you have to try to include terms that are mutually beneficial to both of them. If you draft something that appears as if it's really only benefiting the person who's presenting it, then the other person feels cornered, like they're not really getting anything out of this. So you have to do it in a way that it's, it benefits both parties so the other person is more comfortable entering into it. Well, that sounds like fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. That was Sabina Hakani. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss keeping your mood up during trying times. On The Tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living a very long, pain-free, energized life. Your body's craving heirloom nano and micronutrients that you'll use to elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. Activation makes all this possible no matter how old or young you are. The precious time, energy, and money you invest to be healthy is taken very seriously by Activation. It's their responsibility to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. People consistently report back the most beautiful health results when they daily consume products from Activation. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a luxurious body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and subscribe for the most important health information and products. Or call 1-866-271-7595. Need better sleep? Brought to you by Ultramatic's new NanoGel mattresses. NanoGel is a trailblazing, no-pressure technology made from pure gel. Sleep virtually floating on air with Ultramatic's NanoGel mattresses. Now available with antimicrobial protection against viruses and germs. Boxing Week Special Extended. Purchase any mattress from Ultramatic and receive a free adjustable base. Learn more at Ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. So we're not out of the woods yet, although I think we can kind of see the clearing coming up in the horizon. But, you know, it's been my contention over the last three or four months that one of the spinoff effects of the uh, COVID pandemic is the effect on our mental health and our mood. Absolutely. Yeah, we see the numbers to reflect that of what's going on in the hospitals and in our 
medical system, you know, people are having trouble keeping their mood up for sure. And, you know, you layer that on, you know, the time of year, right? So it's one thing if we're all cooped up or we're restricted from movement or, you know, getting retail therapy in the middle of summer, you know, you can go for a swim, you can go for a walk and go for a hike. In January, our choices are more limited. And if you're not a cold weather person, I think, you know, having less on your plate to do is even more detrimental to the health. Absolutely. I agree. And then you layer that on with seasonal affective disorder. And I think it's something we need to address. So for those who don't know, what is seasonal affective disorder? So it's also known as SAD. And it is when someone becomes depressed, low mood because of the lack of sunlight outside and because of the season. And it actually affects a lot more people than you'd think. And Once you talk to someone about it, they say, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. Maybe I'm not down in the dumps the whole time, but I I absolutely feel that my mood can drop at some point during the winter, you know, COVID pandemic aside, just on a regular winter's day. It absolutely impacts me. You know, I I love being outside. And when and, you know, just when it starts getting dark at 430 or five o'clock, you know, like when you're awake for too many dark hours, I think it makes a difference. It has to. It does. It does. There's a connection between stress and mood too, right? Like this is real. People are under stress and that is impacting their mood, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So when we have stress, when we have short-term stress, our bodies are really designed and operate very well under short-term stress. And short-term stress typically is usually three weeks or less is termed a short-term stressor. But when stress goes on for a long time, we have elevations in a hormone called cortisol in our body, which cortisol is released during short-term or long-term stress. But when it's elevated for too long, it can absolutely impact our mood. It can impact our sleep. It can change our eating habits. And it can, it's absolutely been linked to anxiety and depression as well. So if we know this, if we know we're in moody season and we know COVID is impacting our stress, what do you say are are the important things to consider to keep our mood up? So I talk to my patients about the pillars of keeping mood high or the pillars of stress management, the pillars of mood, and those are sleep, food, exercise, stress reduction, social, and sunlight. Mm Mm-hmm. I think, so, I, I mean, I think those are important for general health, but yes, I, I think the interconnectedness, if, if our listeners have learned anything on the tonic, it, it is that all of those things are interconnected with our overall health. They are. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think for most of my patients I've spoken to since this whole pandemic started, even in the summer when we were able to get outside more, a lot of those pillars were affected over the last, you know, few months. For sure. So what can we do? Where would you start to help the problem, knowing what we know? So we've talked about sleep in the past on the tonic. If we touch on food here, um, there's specific things that you want to focus on. If you're having trouble dealing with mood and, you know, you have stress in your life, there's ways we can modify our eating habits and certain foods we want to focus on. So first off, starting the day, you know, There's that saying, breakfast of champions, or breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And for mood, it absolutely does have an effect. People that skip breakfast, now I I should say if you're intermittent fasting, that's a caveat, that's an aside, but if you're not doing an intermittent fasting regime, then eating breakfast within 30 minutes to an hour of waking can absolutely improve your mood. And 
that's even more important if you're a coffee drinker, a caffeine drinker in the morning. If you if you get up and you have a cup of coffee or tea that has caffeine in it and you don't have anything to eat, that absolutely can affect anxiety. Also, the dehydration makes you feel yucky too. It almost it makes does. you feel like a hangover. Well, what I've it been does. noticing is having water first thing in the morning actually affects my mood as well. Yes, that's great. So you get up, you have a glass of water, then within half an hour, an hour of waking, you have something to eat. And ideally, whatever you have to eat contains protein. It doesn't have to be all protein, but you have some protein in the meal. And that's specifically because protein is made up of amino acids. And amino acids help to make your neurotransmitters, those chemicals in your brain that lead to good mood, serotonin, norepinephrine. Mm -hmm. So if you get up and you're just having a bowl of cereal with some skim milk, let's say, there's not a lot of protein in that, that can also spike your blood sugar levels. It doesn't contain these amino acids. And within a you know an hour or two, you might be feeling tired or irritable again. But if you, you know, some really good protein suggestions could be adding some nuts, hemp hearts into your cereal, having an egg. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different protein supplements and shakes on the market if that's what you like. Some people like to even have a little bit of leftover dinner. You know, in a lot of different cultures, having fish for breakfast is uh, very common. Here, not as much, but it's a great choice for breakfast. Yeah, I've been, I've been playing around with putting egg whites into my oatmeal, and that seems to make a difference. It keeps me filled up as well. It and, does. And, you know, you don't want to have something. You said, you talked about spiking uh, blood sugar. You, you don't want those spikes because with the spikes come the valleys. It does. Uh, so you, have to, you really have to be mindful of what you're eating. Yeah. So let's move on from breakfast. Where do we go from there? So another, you know, overall, we talked a lot about this, avoiding fast food, refined carbs, refined sugars. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's good for overall health. It it really, really affects mood. Refined carbs and refined sugars, you see it really quickly if you give this this stuff to kids. You know, kids show things so quickly that adults have learned to suppress. But if you give kids, you know, a McDonald's meal and then an ice cream after, that child does not look relaxed and ready for bed. You know, that child can be irritable and full of energy, and then an hour later they might crash. It still affects us, but we as adults have learned to kind of try and suppress these or maybe not, you know, express them as much. Mm -hmm. So if you are dealing with, with stress and low mood, choosing whole foods, cooking at home more often, using some of those healthy fats we spoke about last month. So using extra virgin olive oil or trying avocado oil, some of these anti-inflammatory fats. We know that when we focus on an anti-inflammatory diet, which uses you know these healthy fats and oils, fresh fruits and vegetables, reducing inflammation in the body absolutely also improves mood. Okay. Other than food, where do you want to go next? Well, talking about stress reduction, mm-hmm. specific activities to dis- uh, to boost mood, mm-hmm. I always tell uh, patients, you know, our body is made to move. And in the winter months, we are, as you mentioned, getting outside less. We're, you know, maybe less inclined to do so because it's cold. But even bundling up and dressing, dressing really, really well. I once met a man that had lived in the Arctic for many years. And he said to me, There's, it's actually not that cold in the Arctic because everyone dresses for the weather. Here, I come back home to Ontario and people, you know, want to wear their like just coat and boots. They forget to put their mitts on or their hat or they don't double layer. But if you, you know, put your long johns on, nice pair of winter boots, your scarf, your hat, your mitts, and you get outside, you're warm and it actually feels, you know, really good to get out and get some fresh air. Even moving your body inside, you can put on some music and dance. There's lots of different apps now or programs online that you can 
that are free or cost a nominal amount mm-hmm. to do different yoga or exercise or dance routines that can be really fun and you can do alone or with your whole family. Right. I would say, you know, a lot of people have COVID dogs, you know, yes. that that's going to help you too. If you're walking your dogs like you should, you know, that hour long walk in the morning can really change your mood. I find it can. And, you know, with COVID, we're becoming, you know, a little bit more resourceful and some ideas coming out. I've heard that some of the golf courses in the GTA are remaining open this winter for hiking or snowshoeing or cross-country skiing. And those are really great activities. Right now, there's not a lot of snow on the ground, but snowshoeing and cross-country skiing is a lot of fun. So if anything, perhaps this year, people might be more inclined to try something new, an, an outdoor activity that maybe they haven't tried or haven't done in a really long time. Agreed. All right. So circling back to this whole notion of, you know, less light impacting your mood, how would you deal with that issue specifically? So there's, have you heard of the SAD lamp? Yeah. SAD lamp. Yeah. yeah, Those are lamps that have been designed specifically to have the type of wavelength, light wavelength that the sun emits. You can get them. I'm sure you can get them online. I know that Shoppers Home Care sells them. And you can get different sizes. You can have some some that are set up right beside your computer. Some people find that as soon as they wake up out of bed, they just sit in front of it with their breakfast, with their water, tea. And you put it on your face. It absolutely helps make you feel like you've had a daily dose of sunlight. And we see, the research reflects that it is quite effective to boost people's moods. So I find that that's, you know, it's a, it's a drug-free, supplement-free intervention. Some people are looking for other ways other than pills to, to try and boost their mood, and that's something, you know, that's maybe worthwhile. Another thing is if it is a sunny day, and even if you are inside, sitting in a sunny window, like your cat or your dog will mm-hmm. do, old-school medicine, that was actually something that some of the founders of medicine said was really helpful to for disease fighting was you can't get outside and sit in the sunlight, you sit in a window, and that can absolutely help as well. And then when you do get outside, and if it is sunny, even sitting on a park bench or rolling up your sleeves a little bit, as long as it's not too cold, and having the sun actually hit your skin for five to ten minutes, you don't want to burn, but that has also been shown to improve mood. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This 
is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find her list of nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Jamie. So we're going to look backwards yet again, but in this way, uh, we're looking at a positive light. We're going to try and create that silver lining from the cloud, which was COVID, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) How's that for a metaphor? I know. You know, not obviously, you know, the pandemic has caused a lot of problems for a lot of people and we're, we're going to be dealing with it for many years to come, but... Uh, the great lockdown facilitated some changes that may be for the better. Yes, and to be honest, you know me well, and you know yeah. that I always see the glasses half full, right? Yeah. Like, I always try to try to take the positive outlook on yeah. everything, even though, obviously, yeah. it's affected everyone that I know, um, including myself. But there are some things I think that we can take from it and try to continue in a positive way. Yeah, and I need to hear this because I am the glass half empty guy. So, <laughs> so I need you to come on the show and remind me that not everything is doom and gloom. Okay? Yes, exactly. I'm here for you, Jamie. I know. I appreciate that. So what do you think is the number one thing, that the positive change that came out of this? You know, I think in my eyes, like when I look at the general public, I look at my clients, I think the development of new skills, like cooking yeah. skills, baking skills. So if you were a novice cook, you had to do a little bit of something to stay alive in the last like 10 months, right? Yeah. So I think people who didn't cook at all, maybe, you know, learning how to boil an egg or, you know, yep. um, make some oatmeal, like cook the basics. Because in the last 10 months, we haven't had the option to go to restaurants and, you know, parties and that type of thing. Yeah. Our generation, the younger generations, our skill sets are changing, but in some ways they're becoming more limited. Like we are, we are not self-reliant. And I think cooking is really a key tool of self-reliance because if you know how to cook, then you can sustain yourself. You know, there may be circumstances where you're isolated or on your own or short of cash or unable to get out because of a pandemic. It really couldn't hurt to learn how to make sure that you're getting the proper nutrition and getting food into you. Exactly. Uh, And there are helpers out there, like the meal delivery kit, that type of thing. And I guess also on a positive note, if you're the type to order in and not cook, you are supporting the local businesses, right? And I try to do that around once a week, even though I've always preferred home cooking. It's a good idea, like to give yourself a break and support your neighbor. I agree. And I would add the other thing, too, is if you're looking for an artistic outlet and you really, you know, you're not good with a paintbrush and you can't sculpt, you're not an interior decorator, you know, mm-hmm. make, making a good dinner is a form of artistic expression, I think. I agree. And I think also the baking aspect, we can't forget, you know, how last March we ran out of yeast, we ran out yeah. of flour, we actually ran out of parchment paper. We couldn't get that for months. So Tell me about it. I know. And so it's interesting because baking is an art. 
and it's a science. It's both. So people who don't want to embrace cooking can try to embrace baking or vice versa. All right. So that's on the cooking side. But uh, the other flip side of it is actually going out or bringing in the food itself. So what trend, what did you see that came out of COVID in terms of shopping? So I think it was kind of split down the middle. I think kind of half the people decided I'm going to order online, have my groceries delivered, and the other half still went to the grocery store. And I know you're on the same um, side as me in terms of it's one of your pleasures in life, going to the grocery store, looking around, enjoying the experience. And I found that I had to have more, or I've developed a little bit more patience and a little bit more flexibility. So with the patience, I can see that, you know, the grocery store may not have this, right? And then I have to be more flexible. So I would have to use, you know, an ingredient that if I didn't have something, I'd have to use something else, Mm -hmm. which also kind of, it helped me in regards to opening my mind up. Mm-hmm. using different things. Yeah, I am definitely in the I prefer to cam- uh, shop camp because I'm a paranoid and I don't trust other people picking my food for me. But also, I don't believe you need a really good understanding of food to understand, you know, which is the ripest vegetable, which is going, you know, mm-hmm. looking at issues of shelf life and you know, stale dates and things like that. And I just don't trust somebody else to do it. That's, that's you why. don't want to be disappointed because, yeah. yeah, you open up a box that someone else packed and, yep. it, you know, the apple isn't ripe. Like it's, yep. I agree. It took the fun out of it. Yeah. But um, looking on the positive side, we've developed, you know, our patience and our flexibility. And yeah, I'm not known for my patience. So, so I hear you. <laughs> in theory, in theory, this is all good. Yeah, we uh, massaged your patience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If anything, I figured out ways to make my shop go quicker. I mean, some of the joy that I get out of the experience was tempered by the fact that everybody had to wear masks and mm-hmm. keep social distancing, and some people were acting out and behaving badly. But I do agree with you. I think. It's taught resourcefulness, right? Because, yeah, there are certain go-to brands and foods that I like. And if they weren't there, I had to improvise. Mm -hmm. I'm an improvisational cook, so that's okay. Which Uh, I like that about you. It's, it's, yeah, or you're open to try new things. You don't necessarily follow a recipe. You get inspiration. I do. Yeah, and that's great. And that's, it's a special skill set to have that. So, yeah. But I, I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of people sort of started doing that and, and, and figured out how to navigate uh, the new shopping experience and, and maybe found new foods that they liked, right? Uh, exactly. And in the end, it is a money saver, right? Because sure. you're making your own food, you have leftovers, mm-hmm. and um, you can save a lot of money that way. Okay. And it's healthier. So out of all of this, what do you see or what did you see that you hope continues and doesn't change when we go to the new normal? Well, as, I, as um, when we started talking about it, the development of the new skills, I love it. And yeah. I just want people to continue to develop their cooking skills. Also, if I think about it, the resilience, like being resilient, learning our limits, that type of thing. And something that I feel, which isn't kind of like a concrete answer, but our compassion for other people or connecting with other people because we're, we are all in the same boat, that just making sure that people are okay. 
lots of people did that before the pandemic happened, but I think it's heightened a response in terms of making sure, let's say, you know, elderly parents or just making sure that they're okay and they don't feel kind of alone and, you know, being supportive. Actually, when you you raise this topic, that's where my mind went to because uh, my mom is on her own. And what I've come to realize more is how difficult it is to eat well and eat nutritionally when you're on your own because the one issue is when you're buying food, it's really hard to buy something that has a shelf life mm-hmm. and cook a single portion and not be wasteful, you know, because it's hard to bring stuff in in single portion, right? Unless you're buying prepared foods. Exactly. To, to, and conversely, if you're making it, well, then you have to be committed to storing it properly, either by freezing it in individual portions or you're eating it three days in a row. And that can be kind of yucky, too. Yeah. So I've developed a new understanding of the challenges of eating for one. And I, I'm hopeful that we solve that, particularly for our elderly population, because I think there's more people living on their own that are older. And I think it's important that they stay healthy with good nutrition. Exactly. And the social aspect, I think, is also very difficult. Always, every day, day in, day out, making two or three meals a day, it becomes monotonous. Like, it's not as exciting as, you know, being able to dine out sometimes for breakfast or lunch. So, in that regard, it's a good idea to cook and then distribute, you know, drop off with a mask, <laughs> you know, yeah. some extra portions, that type of thing. Because I'm in the same boat with my dad. And since I do my cooking demos and I have too much food, I'm always dropping off care packages for him. Right. No, that's brilliant. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's manifesting in different ways. Like, you know, I'm able to pick up, like, I'll do a shop and I'll text her you know, does she need anything? Can I pick something up for her? You know, which may make the difference because I, you know, the other part of COVID is sort of restricted access uh, to going out to get food, right? Like if you're not comfortable with food delivery services, if you're living in an apartment, it's not so convenient, you know, just having somebody. It's multi-layered. Yeah, I agree. There's kind of problems that the average person isn't thinking about, which become more germane if you're, if you're isolated or living alone. Yeah. And that, everything you just said, like increases my compassion, right? Like, I just want to help people. I want to be there for people. I want to volunteer as, like, you know, delivering, dropping off, making food for people. It just heightens my compassion to help these people. Well, that's good. Then that's positive as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come again next month? Absolutely, Jamie. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Sabina Hakani, Dr. Emily Lipinski, and Shauna Lindzen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The January-February issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss treatment of rotator cuff injuries, ways to share fantasies and desires with your partner, and choosing the right oven settings. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.